You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on Nightmare Time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare Alley, a detour podcast from Nightmare on Film Street. I'm Kim. I'm John. And this week, we are talking to filmmaker Aaron B. Kuntz about his brand spanking new witch-tastic horror movie, The Pale Door. We mentioned this is a wild, wild west witch wild, movie. Wild, wild witch movie. Yeah. Wild, Every wild W wild that counts. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I didn't even make it two minutes. <laughs> We were so, so, so stoked to check out this movie. Um, back initially, I think it was last year, I stumbled across the poster. It went viral on Reddit and fell head over heels with the artwork. It had this like silhouette of a deer-headed something kind of beast with some uh, cowboys riding in the sunset. And I was just like, what the F is this horror film and how can I see it? Turns out the film was still filming at that time, which we learned in our conversation you'll hear today. That's definitely not a high bar set while you're not even done making the movie. (laughs) Oh boy. The Pale Door, though, is a story about the this outlaw gang that robs a train uh, for, like, a big satchel of gold. Only for a big satchel of something. Of something, yeah. Like, they, they don't necessarily know what's inside this chest, and when they open it up, oh boy, are they surprised to find, like, a girl just tied up. No gold whatsoever. And, of course, things take a turn for the worse when they, you know, the brothel that they've decided to go, like, find safe haven in... Run by fucking witches! Real Dust to Dawn shit going on. Two period movies we're talking about this week, eh? Yeah! 1983, 1883. Those are the... Those 1647. <laughs> yeah, whatever. The, yeah, I have no 1902? idea. 1902? I don't know. The Pale is playing at select drive-ins and movie theaters, uh, as well as premium VOD August 21st, the day after this interview's coming out. Keep an eye out for it. It's it's a real good treat. If you oh, if you like some burnt up gory witches, you are really gonna like the Pale Door. Yeah, the character design in this movie is fantastic. Yeah, we talk a lot about it a little bit in the interview, but it's almost like you just doused a bunch of gasoline on top of Roald Dahl's witches and just lit them on fire long enough to piss them off. That's very accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron B. Kuntz, if you're unfamiliar, is also the director of Scare Package, which came out recently on Shudder with Joe Bob Briggs, uh, and is coming to Blu-ray soon, uh, which I can't wait for. That's yeah, it's going to actually have the last drive-in segment, which is so fucking cool. But we luckily caught Aaron while he is working in between projects. He was holed up in the Ozarks. Uh, so we got to have a really good chat with him, and I'm sure that we'll definitely be getting him on the show again because he is a busy one. He's got tons of projects in the works. So let's chat about The Pale Door. A.K.A. the fucking production from hell. There are so many nightmare stories about making this movie. I love nightmare stories. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Where's the goddamn sink? Who are you? My name is Pearl. Well, there goes our big payday. She's just an innocent woman. We ain't gonna sell her anything we do. If you take me to my home, there would be a handsome reward. This way, to the brothel. Gentlemen, please, make yourselves at home. I understand there was a reward. Of course. A handsome sum for these handsome men. Don't be afraid. What just happened? We gotta get out of this town. Find our way out of this. I'll go down swinging.
Aaron, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. We're really excited to talk to you about The Pale Door. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. I've uh, listened to the podcast for a while. I've been a fan, so it's it's kind of an honor to be here. Really appreciate it. Oh, right on. That's great. I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> so uh, you wrote a Western horror, and I could not thank you more for that. We I've been <laughs> dying for more Western horror movies. Yeah, it was. Well, it wasn't. It didn't always intend to be that way. Originally, I wrote a Western that wasn't very good. <laughs> and I didn't know what to do with it uh, after our first feature. And it had it had I mean, it was a very violent kind of brooding Western. And then uh, and then I was asked to pitch a witch movie to Universal after the witch success. And I was like, OK, well, why don't I just merge these two ideas that I had together and do this like witch horror Western kind of hybrid thing? And then Universal laughed and we're like, no, 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 no. We just want normal witches. Like, why are there cowboys? <laughs> what's, what's going on? And I'm like, what the hell is a normal witch? Like, I don't even know what that means either. So whatever. It was fine. But th- that was kind of the genesis of it. And yeah, we love doing like genre mash hybrid kind of stuff. That's what we want to look for. And this just seemed like such an, a great opportunity to take these like weird characters that are, you know, especially like a gang where there's like infighting and you don't really know who to trust. And, you know, there's all this and they're all gruff and, you know, there's something kind of fun about that. And then kind of throw them in this like otherworldly environment and see how they would handle that. And that's just like a fun experiment. And yeah, had a blast writing it. That's so great too, because there's there's a whole movie just in that gang with those brothers and and their story, and then you add like uh, from dusk till dawn style, like right. you just throw witches in there just to just to <laughs> stir it up the pot. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean that's the idea, right? Is you have to, you know, whenever one of the rules that we kind of have when we're writing genre films is that if you remove the genre elements, does the film still stand on its own? So like if you in Scare Package, for example, we're like. Well, if you remove the comedy, are there still stories that you can follow? Are there still things that, are, that exist? And with this, it's like if you remove the genre elements and the horror and the West and the, the witch stuff, is this still like an intriguing story about these characters and this journey and these brothers? And, and if one of those don't work, then I don't think the film works. You know, so that was a goal. Yeah. Yeah. And Westerns have always kind of, well, not all of them, obviously, but like there has been a pretty good... Uh, amount of dark westerns uh, like even on criterion right now there's like a western noir collection they've got going yeah and uh like did you grow up like uh like as a big western fan actually growing up i wasn't as big of a western fan it was i wasn't allowed to watch a lot of a lot of those movies like violent movies i wasn't allowed to watch at all so i had to sneak away and then horror films became a thing for me because my my grandmother got HBO for free and I would take the VHS tapes. I'd have to go every day after school uh, and stay at my grandmother's house where my mom was working. So I would bring the VHS tapes and I would go into the room that she didn't use, like her guest room, turn on the TV to HBO. And then when I would leave for the night, I would let it play on that SLP mode. So it would record overnight. And then that became all horror films because that's what they would play on HBO overnight. Right. So then I that just like showed me the whole horror world. And Westerns came a lot later in life because... It just wasn't, you know, I had that element to see my horror films. Then I had the stuff my parents actually allowed me to see, (laughs) you know, and Westerns didn't really fit into that motif. Uh, But then later, you know, I really, uh, once I, I really, when I got into film school and I became obsessed with Kurosawa and I really loved some of those origins. And that's when you realize like, you know, what became the modern Western at the time, the modern Western and how those kind of the the amalgamations of, of that origin stories and, these, these like, and again, these, these characters, I just kind of fell in love with the characters in Westerns. So there was something interesting there, but didn't, didn't know kind of the right angles to take if I ever wanted to write something for the longest time. Um, but yeah, Sergio Leone kind of stuff. I really loved the, I loved, I love the music. I love the Morricone, you know, kind of scores oh, and all sure. that rest in peace completely. Um, and, and so there was just, there were just fun elements that existed in Westerns that weren't in other movies. And, and it was like this, there was always an opportunity there, but I didn't know the right way to do it because it just, it always was told to us that it was too expensive. You can never make mm-hmm. it. You can never do a Western, you know? So, uh, and maybe they were right. I don't know because <laughs> it was hard <laughs> to make, but yeah. Yeah. I got to imagine because Westerns are essentially like, well, you need a shootout in the middle of town. So you need a lot of people and a lot of like, like old timey buildings. You got to have a train heist, but like you managed to get all of that in there. What was it? What was yeah. It like and then the wardrobe. Locations? Well, the oh, true. Dude, right. It's just insane. It's so expensive. It's it's of era. And uh, Jillian Bundrick was our costume designer and she's just a goddess. And we're so lucky to have her because she, I mean, she elevated. I mean, all every character had, we talked about their personalities and the little trinkets they would have or not have and who had this and who had that. Uh, poor Pat Healy. 
I just kept putting more layers and layers on the guy. <laughs> like, he's like, do I have another like goddamn little like thing to hold? He's like, what? I got a pocket watch and I got this little book and I've got. He's like, it's 110 degrees, Aaron. Like, what the hell? Like, but it fits the character, Pat. Like, it fits the character. It, he oh, was it really wonderful. Does, yeah. and, well, he was definitely yeah. like the most proper dressed of the gang, like the full outfit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and we we took a lot of time to kind of talk about what those individual personality types needed to be and like who kind of fit, you know, so it's loosely based on the real life Dalton gang. We even call them the Daltons, um, which were an Oklahoma gang in the 1890s that are very famous for one of the leaders was shot like 23 times and survived. Shit. And they robbed two banks at the same time and stuff, <laughs> which is really crazy stuff. And I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. And so I kind of appropriated some of the personality types of those without, you know, making it exactly them. We just yeah. call it them as an homage. Uh, so when you go through and you think about who the strategic person, there was a brother in that who wasn't actually in a lot of the gunfights, but would scout out everything and he would map stuff out and he would come up with this whole you know strategy of what that was. And that became uh, Wiley's character played by Pat Healy. So, and if you're going to be that person who's that meticulous, you would be that meticulous in the way you dress and the things that you do and the subtlety and the way you talk and their mannerisms and all of that. So we kind of developed... With his character in particular, we developed an, an entire dialect even for the way he moved and everything. But it was fun. I mean, that was a challenge. But, uh, you know, when you get to work with the actors I got to and just this amazing, you know, I, I joke that it's the Avengers uh, of, <laughs> like, of like indie genre actors, you know, kind of coming together to do this. Uh, and and was a lot of fun. But they they all kind of embraced their different personality types and the craziness, like you just oppose what he's wearing versus like what Noah Segan's wearing playing Truman. And this is like his stupid vest and his absurdity and, you know, and all this. And it just, it just adds for a fun dynamic in the game. Yeah. When you're writing such specific characters like that, uh, like it, it had to be hard to cast some of them. And like, especially with personalities like, uh, like Brenda, who uh, like you cast Tina Parker in that role and she's incredible. Yeah, well, actually, I have her audition video. It's amazing. I hope one day to be able to share it because it was immediate when I saw her tape for it. And I didn't even, so obviously I'm a big Breaking Bad and uh, Better Call Saul fan, but I didn't even at the time recognize her, you know, just she doing her thing. And then I was like, oh my God, that's, that's okay. And now I know who she is from, from Better Call Saul. And I was like, well, she was already in. Like, it was just like immediate. Like, she just like encompassed this. And I wanted a big personality. I wanted someone to kind of, cause again, with this gang of outlaws, you know, and you have the people who take it too seriously. And I wanted to create this like interesting dynamic between her and Dodd, where there might even be some sexual tension. There might be some stuff that's there, which is Bill Sage's character and her. And they just, they went, I mean, we had to leave a lot on the cutting room floor, unfortunately, but there was a lot of fun banter back and forth of them, like making fun of each other and making fun of the rest of the gang. And, but Tina's, Tina's a rock star. And, and that was, we wanted to have a diverse gang, you know, and, and that was, that's the thing too. One of the problems I will say with Westerns is you go back and look at the gangs and they're like all the same looking dudes. And when you do research, these gangs were diverse, you know, they had, they had Native Americans, they had women sometimes in the gangs, they had, you know, they had um, uh, African Americans, like all kinds of different, uh, different backgrounds that kind of came together. And I was like, well, well, we need to represent that. So that was fun to do. And uh, but bringing Tina in to play with Brenda was a blast. Oh, I loved her. She was the best. Yeah, and and it's true too because like the, the gang, like they are a bunch of misfits. Like they're gonna they're gonna gain a new member on the road. Like they're they're gonna be a gang of misfits. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I mean, and that's kind of even the impetus of the story, right? There's like a shootout that happens, and and then that kind of like moves them on a journey. And when the younger brother starts to kind of come and get involved, so because those kind of things happened. You know, like somebody, people die all the time in Western, like these people, these gangs are, they're constantly dying. It's so crazy. And, you know, they're adding people, subtracting people all the time. So just this concept of someone that kind of pops up like that was a lot of fun. Well, you're, you're living a life where you're trying to get the bounty on your head as high as possible. Like it's, you, you, you can't, <laughs> you can't be long on this earth, right? Like your time's running out. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's a joke we even have in there too, where, uh, yeah. <laughs> where Noah's character is mad because he's not getting as much as like Brenda's character and some of the other <laughs> yeah. boundaries, you know, which was fun. And then when Brenda punches him, he actually did fall in his chair. Like that was like a real fall. <laughs> I know it did. There's such a it's small fun. little detail that moment too, where he's like, like, I didn't spill a drop. And then he lifts his other hand and there's like this whole splash. Like you very, <laughs> you very clearly spilled some. That was great. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. And that's just, Noah's one of my best friends. And 
I put them in everything and we worked together all the time. And so the idea to come in and I was like, Hey, I kind of want, I want to embrace a little bit of like what he did in Looper, the kid blue kind of character in that and just like have fun and you're going to be goofy and you're going to be this kind of weird comedic timing in a way to, to, cause again, it's, it's a very serious film and there's like real familial drama and like heavy shit going on. And you just need to have those balances to kind of like, you know, move that story along properly. So he embraced it and he had a lot of fun and it was such a blast. He's got this superhuman ability to do that too, right? Like as much as Knives Out is kind of fun as, as a film, um, he is a huge goof in it and he gets away with it every time. Yeah, he's, he's gonna be huge. Like, 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 I see him as like a indie George Clooney almost. I mean, he's uh, oh god, I hope he doesn't hear that. <laughs> I can't even imagine what's gonna happen. Like, no, I know this is getting to your head right now. Um, but you know what? I I kind of agree. You know, he, he's so charismatic. He's just got a lot a lot to him that's just like so wonderful, and you just kind of want to hug him all the time. And uh, it's uh, yeah, no, Noah's Noah's fantastic. And you know, again, it was just about getting these and once we had a couple pieces together and Noah was actually who helped me get Zachary Knighton to play uh, a Duncan, the leader of the gang. And that was like an interesting fit because he wanted to play a Western. And originally I, I thought of Zach Knighton to play Dodd. So I, I love the show happy endings on ABC. I thought it was hilarious. And he's the lead in that, that television series. And he's just kind of got this, I don't know, his community timing was so great in that show. I was like, oh, well, I'll just let Dodd, because Dodd has some comedy moments within these gruffer moments. I was like, well, let them do that. But then I just saw charisma in him that kind of like oozed that. And, and, and Noah talked about it as well. And I was like, you know what? You're right. And I went back and rewatched The Hitcher, the original or the remake Hitcher. Yeah. You know, whatever you think about the film aside, uh, I really liked his performance. And um, and I will say Sean Bean's performance is pretty right? badass. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, um, and I thought, I thought it was like, whoa, he can play, he can really get, you know, down and dirty, he can get serious. And then when we cast Devin Druid um, from 13 Reasons Why as essentially our lead is the younger brother, they have like the same eyes, nose, ears. They like really, like you put their pictures together and it's like, whoa, this is completely, absolutely can be brothers. And it just made sense. You know, we kind of went with it, but Noah was who made that introduction. So yeah, he's kind of a nice little like background piece of making a lot of stuff happen that I'm very appreciative of. Right on. And you, yeah. you you were you were also talking a little bit ago about uh, people dying in gunfights and like your attention to detail. And I was only kind of realizing this while watching the Pale Door that do like Western bullets have a specific like visual language, don't they? Like the way they hit you and the way you bleed. Is that time accurate or is that just like how cinema has treated Westerns? I mean, so so OK, so the truth is, yes, there are things, but it doesn't look good. So the way that it's done here, like if you look at the way the way the bullets would have hit people and the way they would have bled and all this, it's not very accurate um, in all the movies and including ours. But I think there's something about the visual language of, you know, seeing the the dust kind of come off and seeing the blood kind of pop out and kind of, you know, I want to play with the violence a little bit more and how some of that can work. So we we amped it up a little bit. We made our guns louder than they normally would have been. Cause we originally did a pass where we had of era gunshot sounds oh, wow. that were in there. And I was like, oh, this sounds, no, no, like, no pop, way. Pop, these, are, these are toys. <laughs> yeah, no, no, this has just gotta, they've gotta explode and be hand cannons. And, you know, so it's definitely pushed. And in most of, and, and, and Sergio Leone, like his Westerns do that to the nth degree, you know, like it's all exaggerated. So we wanted to kind of play with that. And then, and then Tarantino kind of does the same thing in a lot of those ways. So we wanted to kind of lean into those avenues. So no, this would not be an accurate depiction. Okay, of it. Got it. All <laughs> the guns are, all the guns are and everything. They're all of, of, of era. I mean, everything is, you know, very meticulously, you know, of era that's in the film. So we, a couple of times there was something that's like, Oh no, we have to paint that out or whatever. And we went to some uh, extra lengths to make that happen. How hard was it to try and find a train to do your heist sequence? Well, what's so crazy is that it was originally written as a stagecoach robbery. And if you actually read like old descriptions uh, of the film, when it was like, you know, we were first kind of doing financing on it, it talks about a stagecoach robbery that goes bad. So we had planned out the entire stagecoach robbery oh, wow. and, but, and you had scouted the whole thing. And then uh, we learned that once we figured out where the area was, the horses couldn't run on that terrain we learned. And this was within a week before shooting. Oh, no. It was a complete, I mean, this this whole shoot was like this. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh my God, there's so many stories. And uh, so we were we were stuck and we're like, look, the horses can't run on this. We were trying to find something else. And then I went with uh, myself, Roman Den, who's one of the producers, 
Andrew Baird, my cinematographer, and I think Sean Talley was one of our co-producers. We went to lunch at like some like, I don't know, like shitty rib place, like the rib crib or something. I don't know where <laughs> it was. In like nowhere, Oklahoma. No offense to you, Rib Crib. You're, I'm sure you're fine otherwise. But uh, <laughs> we were there and then a guy gets up out of his seat and sitting in a booth in front of us in the back of it says, has a shirt that says Oklahoma Train Museum. And I was like, huh, Oklahoma Train Museum. And, the, and on the image, and we go to the website on our phone and there's a steam engine train. I'm like, whoa, what is this? So then we go out there and yeah, there's a steam engine train, but it doesn't run. It's gonna be too expensive to get. You have to hire all these union people to do it. I was like, how is this even possible? And we ended up trading a commercial. So we like produced a commercial for them oh, wow. in exchange for, uh, I was like, well, what can I do? I can, what can I barter with, you know, to get this train? So then we got the whole crew. They were amazing. The Oklahoma Train Museum in Oklahoma City. Go visit them. You can take train rides. You can ride the actual train that's in the pale door. Are you contractually obligated to bring this up in interviews? <laughs> no, 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 no. This is actually cool. Is this I, I the commercial? <laughs> It's fun. I mean, it could be, I could use the audio right now, but uh, <laughs> they are, they were just great. And and they worked with us. And then, uh, yeah, we had to get a kind of a pusher cart and then do a fake smokestack and like add lights and stuff to kind of like make it work. Wow. Um, and then, you know, kind of make it look like it goes further into the darkness as it does. Uh, and then we moved it to night in order to make that happen. Originally it was a, a daytime kind of robbery. And yeah, once we did that, I was like, Oh my God, like this, we, wait a second, we can rob a train. So we went from robbing a stagecoach and being decimated about that not working to within 72 hours later, we were robbing a train and just upped our production value and it cost us less. Wow. So it was kind of magical. Yeah. That's great. Cause like when that moment comes in the movie too, I'm like, here we go. Like fucking train robbery. <laughs> cool. like, you need to have it. It's, it's so great. And, and that and Alex Cuervo, our composer, like his score there is so great. Just like the way that it has the repetitive kind of like beats that are going with the trains, like chugging that's going. And, right on. Um, yeah, it's 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 right. I mean, it's it's I can't believe we got to rob a train on an indie film like this, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, for for such an indie film, you also have a shitload of gnarly looking witches too. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That was a huge. So uh, David Greathouse, Becky Ingram, Nate Bright were a makeup team. The the witches took about four plus hours, depending upon which application we had per person to wow. get done. Wow. I really wanted, and it, what was fun was if we're going to do this witch story, I was like, what do I want? And, you know, there's so many different ways to depict your witches. And I love like digging into all the folklore and all the different backgrounds and what was available. And I really, I love the look of like the raw dolls, the witches. Kind That's of, what like, I was going to say. With the nose, right? Yes. I love that look. But like on fire. Yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> like when that movie scared me as a kid, you know, and everything. Like that that convention center scene like messed me up, you know, when they like, you know, show their real selves. I was like, whoa. But there's something great about the familiars aspects and they can look different ways and, you know, even potentially be in animals or not. And it's like, whoa, there's like so much cool shit that we could really play with. And I love the bathery background and the bathing in blood to keep herself, you know, as youthful. And I was like, okay, let's, let's take this like amalgamation of all these different things. Let's make our own version. But then as I kept researching witches, I, I got obsessed with the Salem witch trials. Yeah. And I had written another kind of treatment that's uh, called the dark day. That was kind of loosely about this cotton Mather character and um, who was, who was basically the man who like literally wrote the book on hunting witches during this time. And it's so like unbelievably awful, like what happened during that period. And it's a very, very dark period in our history. And, you know, and these like religious zealots doing this stuff. And it's just like, whoa, like, like there's, and there was one story I read in particular. Um, and even though uh, most of like the ones that happened in Salem, they were either kind of hanged or stoned, but there were examples of people had been burned uh, in overseas. And there was one story in particular about a woman who was pregnant, who was accused of being a witch. And, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I read it and I read it on the internet. So who knows? <laughs> yeah, um, probably true. <laughs> you never know, never know. But it was so heartbreaking because it was about um, a descendant of the Cotton Mather family that went and tracked down this woman who was supposed to be a witch, went to another town. And in that town, she and she fled because she was pregnant and she just wanted to have her baby. And so went to that town, found her, and then burned her in the town. Fuck. And I was like, oh, my God. And then there's a speech in one of our, because we do shows from the burning scenes um, in the movie. And one of the speeches by uh, James Landry Hebert, who plays uh, Cotton Mather, is an actual amalgamation. I keep saying amalgamation. It's like my word of the day for this interview. <laughs> 
but uh, is like a mix of these multiple different Cotton Mather speeches that were actually said before this happened. I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. So once I knew that I really wanted to tie that in, I was like, okay, I can give this background that's like 200 years prior to our current, current day of the 1890s. And then their original form would be this like elongated nose, kind of Roald Dahl style, but as if they were burned at the stake. And then once that happened, I was like, oh shit, this is really cool. <laughs> like, this is unique. I haven't seen anything like this. And yeah, and then Becky and David just absolutely killed it. And there's so many subtle touches that actually didn't show up on camera as much. Like the skin kind of glistens a little bit at night and stuff and little things that we couldn't quite get exactly right. Not on their fault on mine, um, but it's so, so cool. And the detail that's in them is amazing. Yeah, there's such a great almost glow to them. It's like it's like they're embers underneath the like the rough charred bits. Like you can see that they're almost like um like lava crusted. Yes, that's I mean, our our tests were that and we did because that's what happens when you burn. You know, you have those kind of like pieces and they and they flake off a little bit as they're like so we just we went all out on a lot of that. And again, that's that's Becky. Becky is just she's amazing. She worked on my first film and um, we're going to be working together on, on plenty more. So, yeah. That's awesome. You're you're also kind of like a, like not to move away from like the the thing that I could probably talk about for an hour and a half, like the, the whole brothel sequence in this movie is, is so incredible. Good. But uh, you're, kind, you're kind of a jack of all trades, aren't you? Because like I'm seeing your name like all over the credits of this movie. Like you, you produced it, you wrote it, you directed it, you edited it. When do you uh, well, sleep? Was... <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I, still, <laughs> I still don't sleep much. Uh, so I will say, well, Greg was our main editor. Greg McLennan was the main editor on the film. But then what happened was we were originally trying to to work something out for South by Southwest. And there was a deadline. It was like through the holidays. And I was like, well, I can't ask, I can't ask them to, to edit during this time. So I just took over the film myself. And like, I literally edited a 24 hour day on Christmas Eve, oh, <laughs> you wow. know, like into Christmas day. I remember actually New Year's Eve, I was editing on the film and I was like, and I was mad because I was like, well, what are these sounds going on outside? Like, where everybody's settled down. <laughs> I'm working here. I open the door and there's fireworks. And I'm like, oh, it's like, oh, yeah, right. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So it was a lonely thing. I actually went to the hospital because I passed out due to exhaustion. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, terrible. I woke up with like blood all over my face. Holy shit. I'd like, yeah, I, it was pretty scary. Uh, but that was a good wake up call for just, you can't do that. You know, you can't do this to yourself. Uh, but I, you know, I do that. I tend to work myself to the grind a little bit. Uh, but, you know, I mean, look, you're trying to get everything on the screen you can. You're trying to save money everywhere you can. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll put it on my shoulders to do it. You know, and that's that's just my approach. I would love to not have to do all those things. <laughs> um, but I will say I had a wonderful producing team, a wonderful co-writing team with Keith Lansdale, um, you know, and Cameron Burns. And then my producers, Ashley Sneed and Roman Dent and Matt Thomas and Cameron Burns. And, you know, we just had... A really good, a really good core group, you know, that that uh, we all kind of stuck together, and so we're all part of like the Paper Street, you know, my my main company, and all that. So, uh, but yeah, you just got to wear multiple hats to get these movies made. That's what it is. So, well, I was gonna say you also work with the um, with the the guys that made Pet Cemetery and Starry Eyes. Like you produce, you produce oh, yeah, Starry yeah, yeah. Eyes, and I also saw Brandon Christensen's name under the the special effects and the credits. Yeah, yeah, we had uh, so Brandon and I met when we were touring on Scare Package. We were always playing movies together. Z and Scare Package played a bunch of festivals, and so we became buddies. And uh, he's like, "Hey, man, I'm doing VFX now to pay the bills in between movies and stuff." And he's like, "You should hire me." And I was like, "Okay, cool, <laughs> you're hired." You know, <laughs> that was so, the interview. You're in. <laughs> well, I, knew, I knew he was doing work on VFW and a couple other movies, so I was like, "Okay, if he's doing that." then he's good enough for me probably. So, and we, and I got to see some of his work and he's fantastic. And yeah, he did some, did some wonderful work and yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, like for the longest time, it's just been, I used to work in the tech industry and I worked in video games as a producer and I just wanted to kind of like branch out. And I was like, I wanted to make movies. I was willing to do like whatever it took to make them. So, you know, with starry eyes, that was, I knew Travis, you know, and I was like, Hey, like, what can I do to help with this movie? Like, just let me know. Like, like, this is what I want. I, I had seen um, Dennis and Kevin's shorts at like Fantastic Fest and stuff. And, you know, so I was fans and I was like, Hey, let's, let's get this, get this made. Let's find a way to get it made. And that's my approach with everything. It's just, you know, whatever has to be done, get it done. Uh, Cause that's, that's how these movies happen. Just hopefully you don't have to go to the hospital. When you're doing <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm better. I do sleep more now though. I will say. That's so, good. I'm glad to hear yeah. it. But now I'm also worried for myself. Like I can think of like all those days that we've stayed up, like 
and gotten no sleep. Like, maybe we shouldn't do that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, trust me, the doctor kind of read me the right act about that a little bit. And, uh, and I, I understand. And, and I was, it was actually in a way it was good that it happened because I had to like, you know, understand that this is not something I can maintain, you know, it's not something I can maintain. Um, as passionate as I am and as driven as I am to do the things that we're doing, you know, you just have to like take a moment and it also allows you to be better in what you're doing. You're getting a little bit of sleep and you're going to have a clearer head. I mean, there were times where I was editing something and the next day I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? Uh-huh. Why did I think that would work? You know, cause I was delusional basically. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. So uh, just, just shifting over to scare package a little bit. Cause you were, you were bringing it up uh, in terms of moving it around the festival circuit. What's it like to try and like pitch and sell a horror anthology? Like, did it start out as you have an idea for a short and, you just were talking to people about it or is, was it always being sold as an anthology film? It was always intended to be an anthology. We, uh, Cameron, Cameron Burns was the co-creator of that with me was like, Hey, let's basically, we knew all these great people that we love touring the festival circuit, you know, with other movies and we became friends and it was like, well, how do we get to work together? How do we get everybody to work together? And everybody was, you know, we knew that we could get some really talented folks together so the idea was, well, then let's just do that. Let's just get them together. That's an anthology then, right? And I was like, no, we're not doing an anthology. You know, like Southbound and VHS2 and they're doing Creep Show. Like, we can't compete with that. Like, what the hell are we even trying? Like, why would we even attempt? And then he kept pushing me because that's what Cam does. <laughs> and uh, with love, you know. And then I was like, fine, let me let me take my kind of like OCD self. Let me get a weekend. I'm going to watch all the anthology. I'm going to put together a grid of what I, the highs, highs and lows, what I think and and I realized in like where I thought there were opportunities. And I thought there were opportunities in horror comedy. I didn't see one that was like total horror comedy from start to finish. I thought there were opportunities to be self-referential about anthologies. Like maybe the anthology that kind of makes fun of anthologies, but like loves it at the same time. And then I also thought that there was fun with the way the stories could come together, that you could have this kind of uniquely cohesive vision for this with a wraparound. And I wanted a wraparound that if you only watch that in like the finale segment, which is the piece that I wrote and directed, that would be, that could be one movie on its own and stand, stand on its own separate from the other shorts. And once we had that, it was originally called Tropes. And I was like, oh, this is fun. Every segment's a different horror trope. This is a lot of fun. But then we had, you know, we had rules. It was, you had to love horror. You had to embrace it. You had to, no punching down to horror, you know? Yeah. Uh, at the time I was frustrated at all the elevated genre talk. <laughs> sure. So, yeah. So I was like, no, we don't have to elevate the genre. Like the genre is what it is. Let's embrace it. It's wonderful. But there are things that you can understand within that. And there are things that you can still have fun with, but still love at the same time. So once that kind of hook happened, it made sense. And then, um, yeah, then making one is a very difficult thing, but it was a lot of fun. And we didn't pitch it. We, that was all independently financed. Oh, wow. So yeah, we raised all the money ourselves. Uh, And, you know, I put a lot of my personal money in and everything we could. And then, and then we sold it to Shutter later. Oh shoot! Yeah, like it, I was, I was gonna say it's it's very brave of you to take the wraparound segment because like that that's got to be one of the more nerve wracking segments to have in a horror anthology. But but also, yeah, how would you get Joe Bob involved in in it? That was, I mean, so I've just been a Joe Bob friend my entire life. You know, I watched again. I wasn't allowed to watch horror films, so Monster Vision. We got TNT though, so that was like a way for me to watch some horror stuff. Uh, so I would watch, you know, Monster Vision or whatever, and and I love Joe Bob. And he, this was prior to his resurgence. This was just prior to the shutter thing and all that. Like people didn't even know that he was going to have a shutter show at the time. Right on. He just followed me on Twitter and I was like, Oh, that's cool. And, uh, and then I, I, you know, messaged him and was like, Hey, you know, you've been in casino. You want to act in something kind of thing? <laughs> like just joking around and got back to me and was like, what are you doing? I was like, we have this like really fun idea. And I want a horror expert kind of guru guy. I was originally a bigger part. I want a horror expert kind of guru guy. Uh, for the final segment. And uh, that kind of plays off this other guy who thinks he's the guru. And uh, we sent him the script and he loved it and said he was down. And and then within two, three months after that, it was announced about Shudder. And then we had, I think, yeah, we had shot him out. And then like one month later, he broke the internet. I was like, whoa, this is good. Yeah, this is very good. good. <laughs> but that was a coincidence. Yeah, that was all a coincidence. Wow. So just being a longtime Joe Bob fan, you know, helped. <laughs> Yeah, we uh, like we're we're pretty new to the Joe Bob thing because we didn't we didn't get TNT in Canada. I'd never really heard about him until it came, and like the love for him was was surprising. But I I, I understand it. Oh yeah, yeah, like, we're totally there now. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's uh, it's such a thing. I mean, I, it, so it's interesting playing a few international festivals. You know, the difference when when Joe Bob shows up at the end of Scare Package, like at we played a Telluride Horror, and Joe Bob was there. He was mm. doing a whole thing, and that was actually the first time he got to watch the movie uh, himself. So he was actually in the crowd, but like nobody knew that he was in the movie. We made that secret for the longest time, and he wasn't on IMDb. He wasn't listed anywhere, and all this. So when he came out and tell you right, like literally people jumped out of their seats, like, literally like, <laughs> Oh my God, clapping and all this, like, this is amazing. And then at Sitges in Spain, which is, you know, arguably the greatest genre film festival in the world. It's just, it was where we premiered. It was this surreal, amazing experience. There's like a thousand people in the theater. Joe Bob comes out and like a couple chuckles, a yeah. couple like, you know, other filmmakers. Like, oh. Yeah, exactly. That's really what it was. It was the people who, <laughs> who really knew. But other than that in Spain, there's just no Joe Bob. <laughs> you know, wow. so uh, it was just like I don't, I don't care who this guy is. You know, so it's a totally different thing. So yeah, I, I've I've learned that. Oh, that's a very U.S. centric thing. So <laughs> yeah, and you get to. It was it was just recently announced that the Blu-ray of Scare Package is coming with the Last Drive-In episode, which I don't think has ever been done. Yeah, it, that yeah, I pushed hard for that. And, oh wow. and, th- and thanks to to Joe Bob and them for for you know being cool with it, with John being cool with it. Um, yes, because you know what movie gets to have a premiere on that show and then have that episode. Because normally when they do those, you know, they're these, you know, older films that have been out for a while and the Blu-rays have already been released and all this. So I was like, look, can we do this? So that was my idea. I pushed really hard and uh, I was really, really glad to have it. And there's a lot of other, I can't say what everything else is on there, but there's so much other fun stuff on the Blu-ray that's coming too. Yeah. And then we have a VHS that's coming as well. Oh, sweet. Right on. That's great. We'll probably grab that. Well, and the yeah. cover would lend so perfectly to the VHS, like the artwork for Scare Package is, and the Pale Door. I mean, so amazing. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, Mark Schoenbacher did uh, of Sadist Designs did the artwork for for Scare Package, and I was always like, man, I just for both movies, I'm like, man, people just hope the movies are as good as the, as the key, <laughs> you know, they can just we can just be almost as good as a key art. We're gonna be really good. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna be happy. But no, I I wanted the even for Scare Package, I wanted the the poster to be a trope as well. You know, so like, how do you in the in the title also be a trope? You know, and like the Silent Night, Deadly Night, Shopping Mall kind of title. But then, uh, but then when we had the idea, and originally it was just kind of you know the hand. I wanted house, you know, I wanted that kind of like iconography, and I thought it was fun. One of my favorite all time posters. But then I was like, why don't we do the movie within the movie within the movie? And and then and then when that happened, I was like, okay, now you can see the poster itself is meta. You know, like everything. Yeah. Is meta. So, um, and if you hate meta, you're going to hate Scarecrow. So. <laughs> oh, That's totally. Yeah. The reality of it. It's, it's also integral on you having seen like Friday the 13th part four. Like you gotta, oh. you gotta understand how that thing works. Yeah. It's, it's for diehard horror fans. Like the, the bigger the horror fan you are, the more the jokes land basically. So. To yeah. be fair though, I don't think I know a single horror fan who doesn't appreciate a meta movie now and then. Right. Cause it's for horror fans. They find me though. I'll tell you, I didn't know either, but they find me and they let me know. They retweet me to tell me how much they hate Scare Package. Oh, so wow. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm like, thanks, dude. I usually just reply, I'm like, thanks for watching. Yeah. <laughs> I, I never understand tagging somebody in something when you, like, even if it's like the nicest tweet in the world, if it's still a negative tweet, like, why'd you tag them? Oh, I hate when people do that when they reply and they'll tag somebody after you've tweeted about them. Like, I usually only tweet nice things, but like, if I wanted to tag them, I would have tagged them. Yeah, it's deliberate. There's a reason why we're doing the things we're doing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all about, it's just about promoting, promoting horror, promoting the genre space, creating good environments for everybody, using whatever little bit of privilege I have to help and all that. So I stay out of all negativity and I try not to even, I don't get involved in those people usually either. It's just like, okay. And like, and that's fine. I get why some people might not like it because of those things. And and nobody's going to like your films. You know, that's that's not, or everybody's not going to like you. Hopefully somebody likes your films. <laughs> Um, but, uh, and that's okay. It is what it is, but don't get, but trust me, they find me, uh, for that movie in particular, they find me, <laughs> they let me know. That's awesome. So, that's all good. Most of it's so positive though. Like the large majority is so positive. Everybody's loved it. I know shutters over the moon about it. Um, we've had talks about it. They're, they're so happy and, uh, yeah, it's been a great, wonderful experience. Yeah. Wonderful experience. You know, juxtaposing that, like, I know, like even just from hearing you hearing you talk that uh things can become a huge nightmare on a film set like what's the fucking like the worst thing that happened to you on the set whereas just you weren't expecting it and it went completely wrong and then also i was hoping i could ask you about your early career working with NSYNC. <laughs> I-, I wanted oh to ask that. <laughs> that's so funny yeah you're not the first to bring up the NSYNC stuff i'm like god i should scrub my imdb or something <laughs> um but uh god i mean the pale door there were so many examples I mean, we had category five tornadoes it was the worst tornado Holy season shit. 
in Oklahoma history. Wow. And there were category five tornadoes coming. The, the text literally was something along the lines of take shelter, your lives are in danger. Ugh. And and we we're doing this, and yet I won't say which actors, but then we put the actors in shelters and we're there and we're like trying to figure it out and we're kind of watching the sky. I'm from, I grew up in Indiana and which is like the third biggest tornado state in the US. So I'm kind of used to tornadoes and I have a lot of familiarity with them about understanding the sounds and, and the tornado sirens and how much time you have and how that works. So we're trying to watch to like communicate for the rest of the team. And as we're doing this and everybody's like, everybody get in, everybody get in your spots, everybody be safe. All of a sudden, we're getting phone calls from um, a big agency that's like, uh, hey, uh, so-and-so actors out here taking Instagram footage of tornadoes right now. I'm like, oh, my God, get in your shelter. Stop. They're like, look how cool this is. I'm like, no, no. What are you doing? No, please. You're um, just like, yep, so- everybody's safe. Everybody's chill. Everything's fine. And then you're just like, look how close this tornado is. Holy shit. It was just like, yeah, like, oh my God, you know, uh, love, love my actors, but just funny moments like that definitely happen. But, uh, <laughs> but thankfully that, that missed our town. Had it gone to the main town we were at, the whole shoot would have been gone. And it, and it was coming right for us. Like it was coming right for us. So it was pretty, it was pretty scary. It was definitely touch and go. And then thankfully the tornado shifted and we were good. I think my mom was praying a lot. Um, <laughs> she likes to take credit for that one. That's great. Appreciate MVP. it, mom. Way to go, mom. <laughs> yeah, you know, go for it. Whatever you got to do, I'll take it. Um, but then it brought all this weather and then it actually flooded. Uh, and and it was flooding so bad that it was getting up where all of our expensive props and our clothing was. And we had to like go in like Joshua Miller, it's like a do-it-all kind of art director on the movie, was literally like digging trenches to like reroute the water. Wow. Um, and then it was hailing. We lost an entire days because of weather. Uh, so the whole shoot had to be shot in a, shooter, a shorter amount of time. Um, I mean, God, during one super emotional scene with uh, Bill Sage, his character Dodd is talking with uh, Devin Drude's character Jake. And it's a, I mean, it's, it's a really, really big scene. And, you know, there, he's going through a lot that he's doing as an actor and all this. And then uh, the generator got struck by lightning and uh, which we didn't even know was there. And then like, we didn't even, hadn't even noticed the lightning we'll be able to shut down. We shut down for lightning plenty, got struck and then all the power went out, Wow! you know, at that time. And that was, and while that happened, uh, poor Pat Healy was in without giving it away a ton of makeup. Oh yeah. <laughs> and was not able to see. And so he's sitting there and he's like in his chair, he can like barely move. And I come over and I take Pat by the hand. I'm like, Pat. So he's like, what happened? I heard the power. And I'm like, Aaron, what happened? Oh my God. Like, can we please shoot this? I'm like, okay, <laughs> uh, we're going, man. We're working on it. You know? Um, and it was like, I mean, his makeup was hours of makeup to do. Like we oh, couldn't like no. take it off and we'll do it. And, and there's, this is toward the end of the shoot. We didn't have other days. So like, it was just, you know, I'm like, okay, everybody stay calm. And I, one thing I do is I always, I'm always very calm. I'm, I never get too high, too low, even though in my head, it's like fire going off and those memes of like the puppet with the fire is basically <laughs> in my head essentially. And I'm um, like, everybody stay calm. We got this. And I'm like, Hey, so, you know, Bill, tell me about that time on boiler room. Tell me about that story you were telling. And, and I'm just like calming everyone down. I'm like looking over, I'm like, you know, and then finally we were okay, but it was, <laughs> I mean, that was just the whole shoot was like that, wow. you know? Uh, I mean, the raining blood was originally a blood pit, and then we built the blood pit, and then snakes got in it, and then we what? couldn't put the actors in oh, it. You no, know, I mean, it just was like it was just this movie. This Sounds movie like a was fucking like, hellscape. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, there's snakes in the blood pit. You need to make a yes. shirt of that. It's uh yeah, and then we and then uh, Joshua Miller again, who did everything on this on this movie, he's like such a rock star. We were like, okay, well, I wanted to have somebody like come out and jump out of the blood pit, like as like a scare. And he's like, well, I've, I've scrubbed it for snakes. I'm already in there. Just put me in witch makeup and I'll do it. I'm like, okay. So we made him a witch at the end. So that's actually him as the witch at the end that kind of like jumps out. And I'm like, okay, all right, let's do it. You know, let's roll with this. But it was, you know, any filmmaking is, uh, I mean, like all films are a miracle. This film was one hell of a miracle. Right to on. Get there. Yeah, you pulled it out, man. I mean, like that raining blood sequence is great. The whole, like, again, not to give anything away, but like everything that happens in that little chapel oh, is so, so good. fucking good. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, it turns out uh, what we did in that church, we had to build that church from the ground up because no one in Oklahoma was cool with the things that were going to happen in the church <laughs> that no were going to happen in that church. That makes sense. So, <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, okay, I get that. I get that. And my mom, who was praying for us, I'm like, mom, 
you might not want to watch after like the first half yeah. of this movie. Just this... even watch the first half. <laughs> this is why God sent the tornadoes. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, prayed for you. Hundred <laughs> percent. That was a joke on set. People did talk about it. There were religious people on set who did say that. Oh wow. Yes. Oh well. They were like, well, maybe it's because you're doing this in a church. I'm like, okay. okay. That's All right. Fair. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Can you stop it then? I don't know. What does that mean? So yeah, but no, it was uh yeah, I mean God, this the the whole film was, you know, and then horses, you know, you're dealing with and like, you know, we had wolves, you know, we had we had crows. I mean, it turns out you can't travel crows across state lines. What? Weird law. Don't okay. know why. So it's a true law though. But you can't travel cravens over state lines, which are crow ravens that are these massive ass crows. They're like, oh, those are even cooler. But they're also extremely timid and weird and hard to do what you want them to do, shockingly. <laughs> And, uh, you know, and, and, and expensive and very expensive. So, yeah, I mean, and then we had kids, we had children, the open, you know, I mean, like, I'm like, why did we, how the hell? I don't even know how we did it. So, but it was fun. You know, it was, uh, it's, it's an experience. Um, the whole movie is a very, very personal story for me. And just kind of, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't go to a brothel and meet witches, but, <laughs> but it is a story about, uh, you know, my brother and taking care of my brother and some things that had happened and like a very tumultuous relationship with my own father and all this. I was trying to like find ways to like work this out and all this and ended up writing this like kind of personal story and that's all there. But then to be able to kind of like balance that within this absurdity that we did was, was really, really great. And I don't know. I think, I think some folks, I don't know, you know, when this is airing, but I don't think some folks might be shocked at, uh, you know, some of the sentimentality that's in the movie, you oh, know, yeah. and that it's like, you know, we're trying to actually have something to say above and beyond just like, ooh, cowboys and bitches, you know? So um, yeah. I don't know. I guess that remains to be seen. Well, it, it's also a little referential too about Westerns as a genre too. Like you do, you like, like you'd mentioned earlier, like it's, you are, you are trying your best to sort of correct some of the mistakes and, and troubles of the, those earlier films a little bit with what you've got here. I think you do a great yeah. job. Well, there's a, well, thank you so much. I mean, there's a, there's definitely a theme about men underestimating the power and fortitude of the women around them. And then the bigger theme is really kind of about hate breeds more hate and violence breeds more violence, you know, and, and, and this parallel of uh, Maria, the Madame of the witches and her backstory to this, this gang and what created the gang and what created the witches and, and this culmination of them in these, you know, different ways. I got um, our distributor who I love, RLJ, he's amazing. One of their original releases said something about the battle between good and evil. And I was like, no, it's not, a, it's not that <laughs> black and white. I don't want it to be that black and white. I, I think that everybody, these are all flawed characters and they're all coming from all these different perspectives and they're all trying to figure out what to do. And maybe some get a little more occulty and messed up than others, but everybody's, you know, trying to figure out their place in the world and they're all doing some pretty unseemly things, you know, for the most part. And we have our one kind of character of innocence within that, but, but otherwise, you know, that's, that's kind of the point. So, yeah, I mean, Anyway, that was a ranting answer to a question I don't think we even asked. But uh, <laughs> by the way, that's a lot of the thematic elements. That's perfect. That's that's kind of uh, it's the mo of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> before we let you go, though, we like to ask everybody that comes on the show, "What's your dream double feature at the drive-in? If you could curate one night at a drive-in movie theater, what would you play?" Oh God. Okay. So I knew this was coming, and I thought about it. so I one. So I have to give you multiple answers because that's just me. That's perfect. So one is that I want to recreate my first drive-in experience because. I wanted to, so as a kid, I wanted to go see Howard the Duck. My mom <laughs> wouldn't let me see it. Uh, She's like, oh, I heard there's like duck sex or something. <laughs> you know? And uh, I was like, okay, I can't see Howard the Duck. And then she's like, when you turn seven or eight or whatever, I don't know what year it was, whatever it was, you can see Howard the Duck. And they were playing it at the drive-in. And then, so I, 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 you know, had my birthday, but then on my birthday was when Nightmare on Elm Street Dream Warriors released. Oh, wow. So, and I, I had never seen an Emerald Elm Street film. I always wanted to. It was like such a thing for me to get to see. So we went to the drive-in and I remember, and I, and I didn't know like when it was playing or whatever, but I would sit in uh, my dad's car and we would open the moonroof and I would sit up at the top and like dangle my feet down. Right I remember, on. you know, and I was watching uh, Howard the Duck in front of me. And then I looked behind me and it was Dream Warrior. <laughs> Yeah, like, oh my God, like watching. Both. So I never got to watch both of them at that time because I was so distracted. And in DreamWars had no sound, but don't worry, it still scares the hell of a seven year old. Um, and uh, so I really, I've always like, you know, even though they don't really make sense, I'm like, I want to recreate that. I want to do that again. 
But uh, the the fun one for me right now is I want to do Critters 2 and Gremlins 2. Okay. And I just think they're both like such off the wall, fun, ridiculous sequels. And I love that. Um, I always call, uh, you know, Critters kind of like the punk rock Gremlins. And uh, <laughs> Critters 2 is like ridiculous. I mean, well, Critters 2 is ridiculous too, but uh, Gremlins 2 is like so absurd and like, <laughs> funny. And I love that making fun of the Trump dude, you know, that's in the thing and stuff. It's like a lot of like clamp tower, you know, and all that. And um, there's fun stuff with that. But then my third one would also be The Thing and the Fly. That'd oh, be, yeah. Like, fucking like coolest one of just like body transformation, you know, but just Cronenberg and Carpenter. And just like, I just think there's something. So they're two of my all-time favorite films. So that's three answers for you if that's my cheating way of doing it. That's great, though. That's like special effects night. <laughs> it's also just like a night at a drive-in, like, multiplex. Like, the drive-ins around us have have three and four screens. So you curated a whole night, and I could not... Oh, man, I don't know what screen Although I'm Howard the Duck and Nightmare on Elm Street Dream Warriors have to play on different screens at the same time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Just fully get that immersive experience again. So... <laughs> Yeah. Right on. Well, thank you very much again for joining us, Aaron. Where where can people check out The Pale Door? So it's going to be, uh, it actually is in theaters. I've just, I can't say which ones yet, but there are, I just saw a list of theaters that it's going to be in. Right on. I'm like, okay, if that's your thing. I'm like, look, yeah. I'm not encouraging anybody to go inside theaters, but if you're going to go inside a theater anyway, you might as well go see The Pale Door. Uh, and that'll be uh, August 21st, but then it'll be on, um, I don't know if it's, I think it's premium VOD or whatever, but it'll be on VOD. And then it'll also be in drive-ins as well. So we're, we're curating all the drive-in stuff. And then I'm going to be doing kind of a little roadshow tour. I'll be at a number of locations with some posters and then handing out some uh, Pandora bandanas as face masks. <gasps> right so, on. Yeah. Oh, so we'll amazing. make sure, I'll make sure I get you all, get you all those as well. <gasps> oh, very cool. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, so it's coming out and, you know, like I said, this is, this is the biggest movie I've made. This is, so much of my life and heart in it and it's absolutely nerve-wracking that it's getting out there <laughs> um but uh but just it was made by some really really passionate people and i had a really really wonderful team and i'm kind of it's surreal right now that this movie's coming out for me like it's surreal uh so i'm so so excited for people to see it but also so nervous at the same time <laughs> yeah right well congratulations on the film man like you did a great job oh thank you so much people that are gonna love it it's 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 definitely a great drive-in movie oh absolutely. yeah that's it should be. That's the hope. You know, that's what I want. I want every one of my movies to be a great drive-in movie. That That's a compliment I will go for every time. Yeah, that's the height. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, deal. Deal. Until next time, I'm John. I'm Kim. Stay, Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive. But we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends.